Our next reading is going to come from 1 Peter. We're reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. Reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house, to a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So then, you who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. And a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite things to do in the world is to meet new people. Just love it. I just love um, to meet people because I believe, specifically here in Mississippi, we're all one degree away from being cousins. That's just how we're wired. So one of my favorite questions when I meet somebody is, well, where are you from? You know, I, 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 I told before, somebody before, I told this in Bible study the other night, that the Jewish people were the first Southerners. Because for the Jewish people, three things matter. When you read the Old Testament, there's three things that matter to the Jewish people. First, who's your mom and them? Secondly, where's your land at? And thirdly, telling stories. Come on, that's Southerners, y'all. That's what we do. Who's your mom and them? Where's your hunting camp at? And telling stories. That's what we do around here. So the Jews are the first Southerners. I, I, I did a, I did a, um, uh, uh, a Lenten luncheon recently over in Bolton. Uh, I know the pastor over there pretty well. He's a great, great young pastor. And I was sitting there talking after the, um, after the um, lesson. And I'll, y'all know me. I mean, y'all know what I do. I made a joke in there about being from Boca Chitta. And when I do that, people, some, I always know somebody perks up when I say that. Because if you ain't from there, that means nothing to you. So she said, you're from Boca Chitta? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, do you know where a certain road is? I said, yeah, that, that road sounds familiar, but I can't place it. Where, where are you talking about? And she described the, the road she lived on. And um, she, uh, she, 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 I said, that sounds so familiar, but I, can't, I don't know the name of that road. And she told me more about it. I said, oh, yeah. That's where my uncle lives on. I, and I described, see, I've got an uncle that lives right there on that road. And I described what he did. That's Charles Bigner, if any of y'all from Pike County. That's my uncle. I'm the, uh, and, and she said, oh, yeah, my family bought that land from him. So I was talking to a woman in Bolton that I didn't know from Adam's house cat. Turns out her mom and them bought the land she grew up, upon, grew up on off from my uncle. Okay? I was at a thing for the bishop a few months back. And we brought in a guest speaker. Um, to lead us in a workshop. And, I, I, and I, my joke always if the, is if the bishop doesn't like me, she's going to send me back to Bogachetta, you know, so whatever. Um, and I said, but once again, the, the, the guest from Alabama's ears perked up. She said, you from Bogachetta? 
She said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, do you know? Somebody said, yeah, I graduated with him. She said, oh, that's my husband. I'm like, okay, so there you go. You know, it's the way it goes, y'all. It's the way it goes. It all, it all devolves back to bogus shit, doesn't it, Tim? It all goes back to there. I love that question, knowing who you are, where you're from. I love those personal connections because I think when we drill down deeper into that, we can find something that's a little scary. We can find that we're actually all connected to each other. And that's terrifying because we don't always like each other. So what does it mean when we're connected to folks we don't like? That's scary, you know. Today's text kind of asks that question. Who are you? Who are you? Now, the way I've asked the question as far as I'm, a- I'm asking it to another person, well, who are you? Where are you from? Who's your mom and them? But I think the best way to look at this question of Scripture this morning is not to redirect it to somebody else and say, well, who are they? But who are you? Who are you? I don't mean the public persona that we put on social media. I don't mean the public persona that we go through in our public lives at work or in the HOA or even in our family sometimes. I don't mean that public persona. Because we all can put on a good mask about who we're pretending to be. But my question is this, who are you really? Who are you when the curtains are drawn at night? When the lights are off and you're staring up at the ceiling? Who are you really? I think sometimes we have a lot of stress in our life because we don't know the answer to that question. I know for me, I spent most of my life being reactive to others. I was not defined by who I was or what I believe, but rather I was, respect, I was defined by who somebody else was. Or frankly, the even scarier thing, I was defined by who I thought somebody else wanted me to be. That's a terrifying place. I think today's text gives us some good ways to deal with that kind of anxiety. Because, you know, you know the, the, the most powerful thing in our life sometimes is this most powerful perceptions is, it's not how we perceive ourselves or it's not how others perceive us, but it's how we perceive that others perceive us. So think about it. How much time in our life do we spend trying to get folks to like us? How much time do we spend worrying what other people think? How much time do we spend unsure of what we believe or what we do based upon the thoughts of other people. That's, a, that's where a lot of us live our lives. And I think that's the reason why a lot of us are stressed out and anxious all the time. Because we don't even know who we are. We don't even know who we are. Today's text gives us a great, as Kate said so well in our children's moment, gives us a great foundation for how to define ourselves and where we find our identity. Peter, this is a, the first... First letter of Peter is a wonderful book, wonderful. Those, those epistles in the back of the New Testament, Peter, 1 John, Jude, those are some really cool little letters that we don't always spend a lot of time with. First Peter is a really cool book. 
But Peter here is talking about, with some quotations from the Psalms, talking about Jesus. And he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In other words, Jesus is the cornerstone of all of this. Jesus is the cornerstone of all of this, y'all. Church, our church, the greater church, all of it is founded upon Jesus. And if it's not founded upon Jesus, then we're just wasting our time. Like, if we're not founded upon Jesus, then we are literally just wasting our time here. We could be asleep right now or watching the news or taking or reading the paper. But if Jesus is the cornerstone, then we've got a higher purpose and a higher call. So we see the text say that Jesus is the cornerstone. Cool, that's awesome. But that doesn't answer the question. That tells us who Jesus is. It doesn't tell us who we are. And this is what Peter tells us here. He says, but you, in other words, this is who you are, this is who I am. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who who are we? Who, who, Who am I? I'm a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. We are called by God. And our identity is not found in what others think of us. Frankly, if we're going to be honest, our identity is not even found in what we think of us. But our identity is found in this, that we are called by God and we are his Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Once we were no people, now we are God's people. We are a royal priesthood prepared by God for his purpose, for his goodness. We, we find our, our identity, we find ourselves not in our stuff, but we find ourselves in God's stuff. That he is the source of our life and our strength and our purpose and our all in all. There's a great theological work that came out probably 30 years ago now, I'd say, titled Toy Story. (laughs) If you remember the story of that great theological treatise, the point was that Buzz thought he didn't think he was a toy. He thought he was a real astronaut, space explorer. And so the whole movie, Woody's trying to get him to understand, no, you're a toy. And finally, in the end of the movie, Buzz understands he's just a toy, and and, and he's heartbroken because now he's not Buzz Lightyear Space Explorer. Now he's simply just a toy. But the most beautiful part of the movie is, and this really is good theology, is what he tells Buzz that you're not just any toy. Look on your foot. And on his foot, what does he see? That Andy had written his name on his foot. Said, you're not just any toy. You are Andy's toy. 
And he has marked you as his own and you belong to him. What do we do here, y'all? What happens here? Is the person who is baptized not marked by the Holy Spirit? Are they not marked as God's very own? And is God's name not written upon their heart and upon their soul? You're not just any toy. You're Andy's toy. You're not just any person. But you are a royal priesthood marked by the spirit of the living God. You are God's very people. You are God's very prize. You are God's very beloved. That is where our identity is found, y'all. And now the world is going to do everything in its power to tell us that's not so. The world is going to tell us that our identity is found in our job. That our identity is found by how tall our hedges are. Our identity is going to be found by our score. How do we keep score? Or that our score be how we shot yesterday on the course? Whether our score be the bottom line in our bank account, whether our score be the number of cars parked outside our house, whether that score be the success of our children, whether that score be what the scale says when we wake up in the morning, whether that score be any number of earthly things, that's going to scream at us, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are your bank account. You are your house. You are your weight. You are your cholesterol level. You are what your neighbors say about you. You are what the world says about you. This is who you are. When God is screaming, no, you're not. No, you're not. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are marked by the Holy Spirit of God and marked at his, as his very own, as his beloved, as the one for whom he gave his son, as the one for whom he whispers, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. We put the wrong thing as the foundation of our life when we put anything of this world as the foundation of our life. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And there's nothing the devil would rather us do than for us to put something else there. And frankly, his best trick is to put something good there, but something that's not Jesus. I mean, I doubt very many of us are going to put Rob in the bank as the foundation of our life and our cornerstone. That's a pretty easy trick to suss out by the devil. But what if our life is defined by if we get that promotion or not?
I mean, promotions are good. Hard work's good. What if our life is defined by, are we going to get to retire early or not? What if our life is defined by who our children marry? That's an important thing, y'all. What if our life is defined by our grades? What if our life is defined by our children's grades? All those things are good. All all those are good things, y'all. Those are great things. We want all those things. You know? They're not bad. But they're not Jesus. But they're not Jesus. For those of us in the church, sometimes our challenge is not going to be that we define our lives by something bad. Or we define our lives by something wrong. Our challenge so often is that we define our life by something that is not Jesus. That's our danger. That's our struggle. That's what we have to keep in the forefront of our mind, that we are called by God and that we are a royal priesthood and that our life is found in him. And here's what's cool about that, y'all. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can scrub off the grace of God applied to your soul. Nothing can whittle away the mark of God placed upon you. No stress, no failure, no sickness, no exhaustion, no conflict. Let's go from preaching to meddling. No denominational conflict. Nothing. Nothing can take away the grace of God applied to your soul. In your baptism. And in this meal. Now, here's the catch, y'all. We still got to accept it. We still got to do something with it. We're walking around life with a winning lottery ticket in our back pocket. But if you don't cash it, it doesn't do any good to you. If you don't receive the grace of God given to you in your baptism, if you don't receive the grace of God given to you in this meal, if you don't receive the grace of God given to you in the reading of Scripture, if you don't receive the grace of God that is present in worship, If you don't receive the grace of God, that's present in your prayers. If you don't receive the grace of God, that's present to you in all of life, then it does you no good. God is screaming to you, I love you, follow me, I have given my son for you. We got to receive it. We got to receive it. So who are you? Not, not, not who does your boss think you are? Not what does your spouse think you are? 
Not what do your children or what do your parents think you are. Not what your neighbors think that you are. Not what your bill collectors think what you are. But who are you really? Hear what Jesus thinks about you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's who you are. That's how God sees you. Will you accept that? Will you replace the faulty identities that the world places upon us and tells us that we have to keep? And will you accept the grace given to you by Jesus Christ and live in that identity? Because, friends, in a broken and crazy world, that identity is the only path that will lead to true peace. That is the only identity that will give you God's very life. Who are you, friends? May we live the identity offered to us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.